This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Um, all right, so let's get into it, John. Let's do our pregame six-pack. You and I each pick out six things to look at going into Sunday's game. The Texans traveling to Denver. 325 kickoff, of course, if you're listening to this. 1225 Texans countdown on Texans Radio, on Sports Radio 610, me and Seth Payne, and then postgame after that with me and Clint Sterner. John, as always, I give you the honors. Pre-game six-pack, what is your first thing to watch for on Sunday? It's what everybody else is going to be watching for. Lovey Smith said this week that they should have gotten Damian Pierce more carries this next game against the Broncos. They want to get him more carries. Pep Hamilton determines all that. Pep determines who plays, what the calls are, what the adjustments are. And uh, I think that Lovey will let him know we got to get Pierce the ball more than Rex Burkhead. I wrote a column on Gallery Sports, it's time to pull the plug on Burkhead and give Pierce the heavy duty work. And you can bring in Pierce on third down or giving Pierce, I mean, bring in Burkhead on third down, giving Pierce some breathers. And uh, he doesn't have to touch the ball 25 times a game, but it's got to be more than, than 11. It's got to be uh, something that to me, Sean, it would be close to 20. And I'll tell you something I think is really asinine. I've seen people uh, talking about, Pierce is not the guy. They already know that. And I and I told you and Seth Payne this on uh, Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, but I looked up the first game of every 1,000-yard rusher last year, plus Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Taylor had nine carries for 22 yards. Nick Chubb, three for 21. Joe Mixon, eight for nine. And I go down, uh, uh, Zeke Elliott, 20 carries, 51 yards. Derrick Henry, five carries, three yards. That guy's not wasn't going to be any good. They should have cut him. Alvin Kamara, seven carries, 18 yards. And the only one that did really well was Dalvin Cook of the Vikings. He had 22 carries, 127 yards in a victory over New Orleans. So it's rare for a top back to explode out of the gates like Dalvin Cook did. But that's why maybe Pierce will be a huge failure, but you can't judge it on one game. John, when you give those numbers, you're saying those were their first games of last year when they ran for a 1,000 yards? Those are no, the no, first... rookies. First rookies. game of their rookie year. Okay, gotcha. So their first games in the NFL went like that. I got you. Just that's like Damian Pierce, 11, yep. 30, 11 for 33, and his was – you know, wow. not much worse than most of them. And the no. thing about Henry, three yards on five. I was going to say, yeah. What was, happened? Yeah, no, it was it was better than a half of them. I mean, he was, he was Eric Dickerson compared to half those guys you just named. So um, I, I'm with you on that. And I, I would say this, as as unapologetic as Lovey Smith has been all week about his decision to punt uh, at the end of overtime there, he, I think, has been equally contrite, I'll call it, about the 
curious usage of the two running backs. Like he's he's made really no secret that uh, Damian Pierce should expect uh, more more work this weekend against the Denver Broncos. Are you reading that the same way I am? Absolutely, and hopefully that means less for Rex Burkhead. Burkhead averaged two point nine yards a carry. To team two point eight. And they were worse, 77 yards, 2.8 a carry, than they were last year when they averaged 93 and 3.4. Both were worse than the NFL. If they can't run the ball better against the Broncos, they're going to get beat. Yep. All right. My uh, my next one, John, is um, the uh, Texans secondary, specifically the corners against the – well, secondary, I'll say the secondary – let me just back up. I'll say the pass coverage, the pass defense – for the um, for the Houston Texans um, against Denver, if you watch that game on on uh, Monday, um, and you don't need to watch the game on Monday to know Jerry Judy, pretty good receiver. He had a touchdown where he ran away from the defense in that one. We know Cortland Sutton is a guy who's flirted with the Pro Bowl before. They got weapons on the outside. I was really impressed with how Russell Wilson got both the tight ends involved. That Albert, uh, oh, what's his name, and uh, the kid Beck who had a nice one-handed catch in the first half. He was he, he made some plays, and Javante Williams was much more involved in the passing game than he was in the run game. He only carried the ball seven times, but he caught 11 passes out of the backfield. Um, I, I think the, the matchup on the outside with uh, Jerry, I'm guessing that Derek Stingley Jr. is going to see a lot of Jerry Judy, and maybe Nelson is the one they put on Cortland Sutton, or we'll see if they're probably going to play a lot of zone like they normally do the Texans. But even more so, those tight ends and the running backs out of the backfield. Kamu Grugier Hill was targeted 16 times in that game against the Colts. They were picking on Kamu Grugier Hill throughout that game. So I think pressure on Grugier Hill, pressure on those corners. Jalen Petrie and Jonathan Owens at safety are probably going to have some responsibility, uh, both on those tight ends and maybe playing a little slot receiver as well, uh, a little slot corner as well, Desmond King. Um, that's one of the matchups I'm going to be watching. The, the Seahawks are the Seahawks. The Broncos moved the ball against the Seahawks through the air quite a bit. Russell Wilson threw for about 340 yards in that game. The problem was they get down to the one yard line twice and they fumbled it both times. You know, if they punch both of those in, we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about a, a, a game where they go on the road and score 30 points in that game, as opposed to losing 17, 16. Um, so I, that's, that's a matchup I'm keeping a, a big eye on. That's one that the Texans need to at least hold steady. I'm not saying you got to hold the Broncos to you know 200 yards passing or anything like that, but they have so many weapons, and I, I I actually think you know Taylor is obviously a great weapon as is Michael Pittman, but I think between the two backs that the that the Broncos have Williams and then Melvin Gordon as well as the, the receivers on the outside and the tight ends, I, you know, and not to mention the guy delivering the ball. This is a more dangerous passing offense than the one that they saw in week one with Matt Ryan. I agree, and especially about the one-yard fumbles. If they had not done that, nobody would be ridiculing Nathaniel Hackett for being a moron. He'd just be another first-time coach with a, with a defeat. Yep. All right, what's your next one, John? Pre-game six-pack. We got, we got two in the books. We got four to go. What's your next one? Jerry Hughes and Jonathan Grenard, both of them played well. Hughes, two sacks in the second interception of his career. Grenard made some plays in the backfield. Grenard's got to get Russell Wilson. Wilson loves to spin out of the pocket when he sees pressure coming up the middle, and not just to his right. He spins to his left, and he's very accurate, even though it cuts down about a quarter of the field. So they got to set the edge and beware of that. And – They've never beaten Russell Wilson. 
Wilson is 3-0 against the Texans. He's completed 55 of 92 for 845 yards, six touchdowns, two interceptions, and seven sacks. And he beat them last year, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 260 yards in NRG Stadium, 33-13. But his greatest performance was in 2017, was kind of Deshaun Watson. It was his last game before he blew out his knee in practice. And Wilson had that great drive at the end to win 41-38. He finished with 452 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. So he has dominated the Texans, and he's going to again if they can't get pressure on him, whether it's outside or inside. You remember the 2013 game, John, against the Texans at NRG Stadium? 23-20. to He He wasn't good at all. 123 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, and they lost by three. Yeah, you remember that was in overtime. You remember the big play in that game? That was uh, back when Schaub was in the middle of his pick six brigade there. And throwing he, the ball to Owen Daniels yeah, and uh, Richard Sherman. And and, and Gary Kubiak told him on the sideline if OD's not open, throw it in the ground or throw it in the stands, and the rest is history. They had started 2 and 0. Oh. It started two and zero. They were two and one, I think, going into that game because they lost to oh boy, I think it was maybe Baltimore in week three that year, and they were two and one going into that game. <laughs> and I would submit that that was that sequence where Richard Sherman had that pick six was one of the most pivotal sequences of the Gary Kubiak era because that was that was eye opening, John. I mean, the Shab had already thrown two pick sixes that season in the previous two weeks, one against the Titans, one against the Ravens. And that was like, holy smokes, another one? Wow. And then he'd throw another one on the third play of the game the following week against San Francisco. I was at that game. That was the season before I got to Sports Radio 610. I used to be able to travel to games with Amy, and we were sitting right in the end zone where Tremaine Brock ran it right into our laps practically on a pick six. Good. I see. I, I, I knew, you're like a historian, John. I knew that if I quizzed you on that, you'd have, you, you'd have all the numbers uh, uh, soaked into your brain. Yeah, I have them written down. That's how I know oh, them. And I, John, I'm trying to I'm trying to cover for you. I'm trying to make it sound like you had total recall on this. They were coming off that best record in team history, second round of the playoffs. When they won at San Diego in that late game, then they beat the Titans. I thought, wow, they're picking up right where they left off last year. And that to me, the Sherman play was not just one of the biggest ones of Kubiak's career. It was one of the biggest in franchise history because I don't know anybody that thought they were going to lose that game, including the Seahawks people. Yeah. They thought that they were going to lose that game and they were never the same. And Schaub was never the same after that either. And Seahawks would go on to win the Super Bowl that year. (laughs) I mean, talk about a fork in the road. That's, that's a wild one right there. All right. Um, So we've got three, we got three to go in the pregame six pack. My second one here, John, my second one isn't necessarily a, a player or a position group. I guess it's a position group in that it's the Texans, defense overall really the team overall probably but especially the defense they played 92 snaps on Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts I can't think of a worse place to have to go play after having a a a game where you played 92 snaps 31 of them carries by Jonathan Taylor where he's just you know he's he's beating you up he's running you over like a diesel uh 92 snaps and you got to go to altitude to play in Denver so one of my things to watch John is just going to be the legs of this defense. I could really see this, and we'll get into our predictions in, in just a little bit. I could really see this being a game where the Texans hang in for a little while and then they get worn down just because of the combination of the altitude along with the usage last week. Half of the starters on defense, including the entire secondary, all played 100% of the snaps. Jalen Petrie and Derek Stingley Jr., John, in the first games of their career, 
played every single snap of a 92 snap game. So I guess there's a silver lining there in that Derek Stingley's foot must be just fine. If the Texans are leaving him in there for 92 snaps in the opener in an overtime tie. But I think that's something to watch is just what's the second half look like defensively for the Texans when you combine altitude with a, an extreme, extreme workload for a lot of these guys from the week before. All right. So that's, that's my second one, John, what's your third one on the pregame six pack? Last time they went up there, they beat them. Remember Brandon McManus missed a field goal. I do. Right at the end, I was standing down the field in the end zone, ready to go ask negative questions. And I look up and the Texans are jumping across the field. I kind of think that first game helps get them in shape for the Broncos game, but we'll see. Um, Davis Mills got to throw the ball better for an entire game, and he's got to throw the ball down the field more. Other than the gadget play, the 42-yard completion to Brandon Cooks, the wideouts caught 12 passes for 97 yards, and that's that's not an 11 passes for 97 yards, and that's not good enough. And they need to get to the red zone more because that's where – Hard to believe, but Mills was, I think, the best red zone quarterback in the NFL last year. And if he'd have been in there more, they might have won some more games. But Mills has got to be consistent. And uh, I, he was he was really good. He was good for three quarters, and then he was terrible for the fourth quarter in overtime. And a lot of that was his teammates, especially some veterans making kind of incomprehensible mistakes in clutch situations. So I think Mills. Yeah, Mills, that, that, I mean, that's a good one. He he hit a bunch of different receivers. The problem was a lot of them he hit once. You know, like you could look at the box score and go, wow, look, nine different guys caught balls in this game. Yeah, but Brandon Cooks was still targeted more times than all the other receivers put together in that game. You know, he, he was still targeted, I want to say, 12 times. Burkhead being targeted eight times is just something that can't ever happen oh. again in a game. Um, and then nobody was targeted more than three times outside of those two guys. I got no problem with targeting Brandon Cooks 12 times if the other targets are being distributed amongst guys who can go make plays for you. You know, Burkhead's not a playmaker. You know, Nico Collins needs to get targeted more than three times in a game. You know, I maybe he wasn't getting open. I don't know. I'd probably have to watch the All-22 from last week to know what he was doing play to play. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, Mills, Mills needs to be a lot more of the first three quarters of that game Mills than the last quarter of the game. No question. Um, target, bro, target OJ Howard targeted twice, two touchdowns, get him in the game more and get the ball. To yes. Him. Literally every time he catches the ball as a Texan, it's a touchdown. Just throw the ball to OJ Howard. That's what you got to do. Davis. If you, if you're downloading the Utopia football podcast, Davis Mills, Take it from John McClain and Sean Pendergast. Just throw the feed OJ Howard. That's it. Um, my last one, John, and I'm I'll, I'm going to circle back to the two head coaches in this one. And look, you, the Texans are a ten point underdog, so hopefully this comes into play. But you got Lovey Smith, who made I think what people Lovey Smith actually made what was mathematically probably a, an intelligent decision. Just if you know if you didn't want to lose the game because his offense and defense were both playing uh, pathetic, to use a word you like to use. Um, but I think a lot of people criticizing him because, hey, it's early in the season. You're coaching a rebuilding team. You play to win. You don't play to tie, that kind of thing. Um, so a, a lot of criticism for, for Lovey Smith. And, of course, there's the Damian Pierce criticism for him as well. Hackett's criticism was a lot more acute and more universal and much more grounded in statistics and analytics that, what are you doing, dude? You're, you're, trying, you're choosing to do something that has like an 8% chance of being successful 
versus a fourth and five with a quarter of a billion dollar quarterback. I'm anxious to watch both of these coaches, particularly Nathaniel Hackett, who is one game into his career. You know, Lovey's been around the block several times. But if this is a game that's tight in the third and fourth quarter where decisions by these coaches, whether it's replay or whether it's uh, decisions to go forward on, on fourth down, Lovey was very conservative with that as well. Even playing at home, there was a fourth and two in that game uh, on the flea flicker drive that they chose to kick a field goal. There was the fourth and three uh, in the early fourth quarter where he chose to punt from the 36 yard line of the Colts. Um uh, where, you know, a field goal or uh, going for it might have been the better choice. And then obviously the, the, the overtime punt. Lovey had some some very conservative decisions. Nathaniel Hackett obviously had the goofy decision at the end. If this game's close in the third and fourth quarter, which coach is going to be the one that that flinches? Which coach is going to be the one that, that, that makes a mistake? I think these two coaches are going to be under the microscope for this game. So I'm I, I actually feel decent about the coaching matchup for Lovey Smith, just based purely on experience, and then and then Hackett's inexperience showing itself on Monday night in a big, big way. One thing that Hackett has to do is to rely on Russell Wilson. He got this job because of Aaron Rodgers and because of his daddy, Paul Hackett, who was a head coach in college, longtime quarterback coach, coordinator in the NFL. And when he's in a situation that's in doubt on offense, let Russell Wilson be the one that decides the success or the failure, not a boneheaded call. I saw a stat um, on fourth and five. I think that's what they had. The success rate is 48%. Yeah. And and the success rate on 64, they went back, gosh, at like the Super Bowl era, and it's like, five percent so obviously they didn't have an analytics person up in the press box telling him what to do in the headphones but i think he will rely on his 245 million dollar quarterback and they got a lot more talent than the Texans. they do and, and they're they got a talent at skill positions or offensive line is better but i think lovey is is a defensive coordinator and it is rare for a defensive coordinator to be a head coach and be considered aggressive. Brandon Staley of the Chargers was a defensive coach and he, he was a coordinator for one year and he is aggressive because he's younger and he is so married to analytics to their detriment last year that kept him out of the playoffs. But by and large, Sean, you know, this, those defensive coaches are just by nature conservative when they're head coaches. Yep, indeed. John, what's your prediction on the game? I'm going to take Denver to win this game 30 to uh, 17. Okay. I, I've got Denver 30 to 13 in this game. I just think this is a game where the Texans get worn down throughout the game. There's just too, I think there's too much firepower. And I think Denver being 0-1 is the worst thing that could happen to the Texans in this Ooh, game, especially right. the way that they lost. Like Denver is not De Denver's not going 0-2 to start the season. They've got big, they've got big hopes and dreams. And John, they can't, they cannot go 0-2 and lose games to the Seahawks and the Texans. In that AFC West, you, you know, that AFC West, John, you know, the if you're any of those teams, the Chiefs on down, you're looking at your schedule. And you look at what that division looks like, and you've said it yourself. It's one of the hardest divisions you've ever seen in your 50 years of covering the NFL. Um, you you look at your schedule and you go, man, okay, the, at least we can count on winning these games. And I guarantee you the Seahawks and the Texans are two of those games for the Broncos. They go 0-2 in those two. They're sunk. They're done. Like you, you could argue that the Broncos in week two here are kind of playing for their season a little bit because you go 0-2 to start off against the Seahawks and the Texans, which I don't expect them to do, but if they did um, – 
and you haven't played any games in the division yet, and you haven't played any of the hard teams in either of those divisions you cross over with yet, you know, they're playing the Seahawks. That means they got to play the Rams, the Niners, and the Cardinals still. If they're playing the Texans. They've got to play the Colts and the Titans still, and not to mention all six, six games in their division. So this is a huge – it sounds weird to say, but it's a huge game for the Broncos. It is, but I don't think that uh, we'll be saying stick a fork in them after Sunday. I don't either. Yeah, obviously, I don't, I don't either. So I think the Broncos win, and they cover 